A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a Super Bloom podcast. My name is Candace King, your host. This is, in fact, the third time I have started and re-recorded this intro. Because <laughs> I never really know how to start. This isn't the first time we've had this conversation on this podcast. Um, and it probably won't be the last. Yeah, at first I thought, oh, maybe maybe I'll start kind of light and cheerful and, and kind of warm you up. And then it didn't feel right. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll just get like right in there and we'll just get right to business and dive into the topic in which we're discussing today. And that didn't feel right. So I'm just, so I, I figured that this was the medium. This was the kind of middle ground um, in subject matter that I don't really feel that there is a middle ground. But today we're going to be talking about guns. We're going to be talking about gun laws here in the United States of America. Again, this is not the first time I have taken the opportunity to sit down with a guest on this podcast to talk about gun legislation. And I'm going to be honest, it's not going to be the last. It's not going to be the last. But each time I sit down to have a conversation like this, I learn so much more. And I hope that you do too. And whatever side of the conversation you're on, I hope you just give me a chance within these conversations just to open your mind and to maybe learning something new yourself. Um, Because I think that that's 
what this space can be really beautiful for is, uh, is you know, learning and, and hearing a perspective that maybe you haven't considered before now. Isn't that what conversation is all about? You know, um, I hope so. I'd like to hope so. For the longest time, I didn't consider myself an activist. I didn't really feel like I participated. I felt that I participated um, enough, <laughs> whatever that means. Jeez, uh, whatever that means. I, but I, I really didn't feel like I was paying attention to the community around me. I think that that's uh, grown with age. I think it's grown with, um, for me personally, as becoming a mother. I think um, it's felt necessary for me personally to pay attention to what's going on in the world and not maybe how I'm just affected, but how the entire community um, of people around me uh, is affected by what's going on. And I, I've learned that as I've, you know, begun to participate and get more involved in these last couple of years that I am not alone in that, that there's actually a lot of people who are rising to the occasion and, you know, kind of waking up and realizing, wait, how, how did we get here and how can things change and how can I be a part of it and not feeling overwhelmed for the first time in their life, but instead feeling really focused. And that is what happened to my guest here today, Kitty Brantner. Kitty is the founder of March 4th, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan advocacy group on a mission to reinstate the federal assault weapons ban and end mass shootings. Now, that's very, they said a lot of important words there. So if you just give me a shot, this is a nonpartisan advocacy group with a singular mission to reinstate, so not coming up with a new law, but reinstate a pre-existing law, which was a federal assault weapons ban. Following the mass shooting tragedies in Buffalo, Uvalde, and Highland Park, Kitty, my guest today, created a movement focused exclusively on the assault weapons ban nine days after the 4th of July shooting in 2022. Being new to advocacy has allowed Kitty to believe that anything is possible Anything is possible, including creating a new bill to solve our nation's mass shooting crisis. This year, Kitty actually left her full-time job of 14 years as a sales executive to focus on ending mass shootings in America by leading March 4th as a volunteer. She lives in the North Shore of Chicago with her husband and three kids, all under the age of six, which, whew, well done, Kitty. Now, you're going to hear all about March 4th in the conversation that Kitty and I are about to have. If you want to learn more about this nonpartisan, nonprofit advocacy group, you can go follow March 4th on socials. Their social on Instagram is at March, M-A-R-C-H underscore fourth, F-O-U-R-T-H underscore. So at March underscore fourth underscore. I highly recommend getting on socials, following them now. They've been doing a lot of work and they actually have a very, very big announcement coming up pretty soon, um, which is going to need everybody's support. If an assault weapons ban is something that you felt passionate about and you haven't known how to get involved or have found an advocacy group that is focusing necessarily specifically on reinstating the federal assault weapons ban, then this is a great nonprofit 
uh, for you to pay attention to. Keep your eyes open in these next couple weeks. Um, I will also be posting about what they have going on. And um, until then, please enjoy my conversation with Kitty Brantner, founder of March 4th. I like specifically, I even was talking with my producer, Melissa, and I was like, you know, I know that I keep wanting to invite guests on here to talk about just like common sense gun laws and, you know, and just like what's happening in our country right now. And like, is this too much? Is this too much? And, and she's like, no, this is, this is what, this is our reality. And it's true. And it's, it's, it's frustrating and it's sad and it's upsetting. And it just blows my mind sometimes how this continues to be a topic of conversation that, that on one end feels like it's not polarizing at all, but on the other end in certain circles is incredibly polarizing and stress inducing. And I even was like talking about like a week in which I had been on a trip and, and there was like this fun opportunity at this, you know, kind of really wonderful place up in North Carolina where you could go and do like clay pigeon shooting. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, like, wait, is this like, is this a polarized, like, I'm just doing clay pigeon shooting and this is all the safety measures and I'm doing all these safety things. And <laughs> I grew up in a, in a house in which like my father hunted and yet I'm like very passionate about this. And it just feels complicated when it just, it doesn't feel like it has to be complicated, but it's become complicated. You have thrust, you know, on one hand, you can say you've thrust yourself into this conversation, but on the other hand, it feels like we as a country are kind of thrust into this conversation on gun laws. Kitty, I, we, you and I have spoken about how you found yourself starting this nonprofit, but can you share with our listeners, like, how do you feel you were thrust into this conversation? Has this been a topic of conversation for you growing up? Like, did you grow up around guns? No. So I, I want to say, you know, when you say that everyone's are we're having to be in this conversation, it's because guns are the number one killer of kids in America. I'm going to say it again. If your child dies in America, it's probably because they were shot. So everyone has to be involved in this conversation. If it were anything else, like a car or cancer, we would talk about it. Mm. So I'm just in the mindset that we have to treat the product like the product it is and that it is killing our kids. Well, even COVID, even going back to COVID, we like that was a big conversation. We wanted to, are the children going to be okay? Like, you yeah. know, and, and then we can, that's a whole, I know we can get in like the nitty gritty of that as like an actual detailed conversation is something that we're obviously not going to talk about right now. So before anyone listening starts rolling their eyes, <laughs> but the point being that like, there were a lot of precautions because we wanted to make sure the children were okay. We Are the kids going to be okay? And now we know right now we have science and statistics that are telling us the number one killer of kids and te- teenagers in this country. And when under 17 it's guns and yeah. we're still being like mm, do we yeah. need to make this an issue is yeah, this like we really... don't touch guns yeah. you're like no no we all do because our yeah. kids are being killed by them so i think you know for me i was very not political i you know, I, I voted, but I wasn't a big campaigner. I donated to every town, Moms Demand, Giffords, Brady, those types of organizations, because I care about the issue. But it really was outside my sphere. And I think a lot of activism and advocacy in the space comes when it impacts your sphere. Mm. 
it comes into your life in some way or another. So shame on me for it taking too long to enter my world or for me to step into this world. But for me, it was Uvalde started everything. And I was sending my oldest child to kindergarten that fall, so last year. And I realized I was sending her to a mass shooting target in elementary school. And that terrified me. I'm like, oh, now I have to pay attention to this. This is my reality now. And at any moment, someone could come in with a legally purchased semi-automatic weapon and shoot up their school. And just the despair, right? I think that the entire nation felt that day, May 24th, with these poor children and their educators being mowed down with another legally purchased AR-15. And just how America falls into that same thoughts and prayers. It's mental health. It's not the guns. It is the guns. We all retreat to our corners. We all point at one another. And then we just do it again. We go into the same cycle. And I went abroad right after the Uvalde massacre, and it's all I could talk about. And so it was really interesting to me because I was talking with parents from France and England and Spain and Germany and New Zealand and Australia, and it was as if they all got together and had talking points before I I chatted with them because they all said the same thing. They said, this is so, so horrible, and we are so sorry, And this will never be our reality. So we just don't get it. We don't understand why you guys live like this. We can't, we don't even have access to guns, let alone assault weapons. We just don't get it. And we know this is an American problem, but like hearing it outside of your bubble from people who don't interact with your bubble was like a slap in the face. I'm like, yeah, this is completely our fault. This is completely our, you know, chaotic nature to continue this, this process. And then about a month later, a mass shooting happened about 10 minutes away from my home on the 4th of July in Highland Park. So then the issue comes even more to a head. I have friends that are running for their lives from a mass shooter with a legally obtained AR-15 yet again. And my children and I are sheltering in place at home on the most patriotic day of the year in our red, white, and blue from a man at large with a legally purchased weapon that was made for war. And so between sobbing and making sure friends were okay and trying to answer to my kids why they couldn't play outside on the 4th of July, I went from utter despair to just pissed off. Like, why are we doing this? Why can anyone obtain these weapons when they were literally designed to kill in mass as effectively, quickly as possible? It makes no sense to me. And a little bit of an echo chamber, but like the people I talked to were like, yeah, this is insane. And I just started asking questions on social media, trying to, I also have some really good research on Toronto suburbs because that was my first thought. I'm like, we're getting the hell out of here and here are the suburbs that I want to look at. My husband was like, Katie, we can't just run. And I'm like, well, then what can we do? Because this is insane. I I brought these kids into the world and I'm damn well going to protect them. So as I started asking questions, I realized, I think I just want to go to DC, scream at the top of my lungs that I want a federal ban on assault weapons. I don't think that's a hot take. And does anyone want to come? So I put that on my Instagram and I published my email address, which I don't recommend. And then about, I went to bed, but the next morning I had 300, 400 emails of people just like across the country. I'm in, I saw your post. I can help you. I'll get the permit in DC. I can help you. I'm in PR. I'm in lobbying. I'm in this, I'm in that. And suddenly on the 6th of July, this organization was formed. And from the beginning, we've been nonpartisan because this is not a political issue to Americans. 
Republicans, Democrats, independents, political atheists like me, like I don't belong to a party, the majority of us agree that if a weapon was designed to kill in mass for war, that it should stay in war. And so we're singularly focused on the reinstating the assault weapons ban, and we're focused on the nonpartisan issue and trying to bring people together on this issue. How has that been working being a nonpartisan nonprofit? Because we are obviously in a very it is a very polarized country. It is the Republicans and the Democrats and it like the very extreme mm-hmm. sides of both parties. It kind of feels like right now that the country is saying, well, you have to pick a side. Yeah. You can't you you have to pick a side to get anything done. And did you feel any of that pressure in the in the beginning stages of this non? profit where every everyone started saying, well, no, 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 you have to be affiliated if you want. Like, was that any sort of pressure, especially knowing you were going to be going to Washington you know, to affiliate yourself with and with the side? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting question. In the beginning, I really don't feel that we had a bunch of pressure to affiliate. And obviously, as we know, Democrats are more likely to vote for gun legislation measures, gun control measures. But at the time, right, we this is last year, July, August of 22, and the Democrats had hold of the Senate. They had control of the House, and we had uh, Democrats had control of the pre- presidency. So there was a trifecta of power, if you will. And we saw that as an opportunity for passage of this law. And spoiler alert, it didn't pass. They let it expire. The Senate didn't even vote on it. So... I think, you know, I've tried to go at this very pragmatically because I do believe it is a very logical point and it's not something I need to shame people into, but it's just saying if any product killed kids at this rate, we would remove it. If it was scissors, if it was lettuce. Gosh, yeah, exactly. Whenever there's like a, oh no, the the lettuce at this grocery market from this thing, don't eat it. And it's one person got a tummy ache from it. Like it is off the shelves. It is off the shelves. And we're like, hmm, it it isn't the legally obtained AR-15 that's being used in all of the most deadly mass shootings. It's not that. It's really about fatherless boys. And it's really about, you know, it's like, guys, let's stop trying to look around and say like, la, 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 it's not the guns. And let's really think about if this were any other product, what would we do? We'd remove it. We'd remove the common denominator. I'm not saying there's not tons of layered issues and reasons this happens, but let's at least for lack of a better term, stop the bleeding. So I think what we've learned over the year and change that we've existed is there's a ton of amazing organizations that are working in gun violence prevention. And the majority of them align themselves with the Democratic Party. A lot of them fundraise on actblue.com. A lot of them help uh, Democrats get elected at state and local as well as federal levels, which is all good. We need to be doing that. And I think as I reflect on change that has been made in America, and that's all we have to go off of is what has already happened and how do you replicate rather than reinvent. So whether it's women's rights, civil rights, marriage equality, the way change gets passed into law and and change happens is by bringing more people to the center of the issue. It isn't by shoving it down one party's throat while the other is 100% opposed. You can't get anything done like that. So I think what we're trying to bring to this fight, if you will, is a group of people who have not been activated before. So it's not the same voices. It's new voices getting off the sidelines and saying, 
okay, you know, and specifically having the, I want to call it like, we're like Switzerland. Like if you're a Republican, we're not going to yell at you. We want you to speak up for gun safety. And we've noticed that they are. And again, these are American citizens, not Congress. And we're waiting for Congress to reflect American citizens in this. But I think about the covenant families that I've met who have mm-hmm. voted Republican. And I went to the state house and, and met with them during the special session this summer. And it's interesting because it's like they're standing up and they're saying, we're responsible gun owners, we're Republicans, and we don't want our kids to die in school. So we need to legislate guns. And in my opinion, you need those voices in this fight because that brings that voting base a little bit more to the middle, which is to say, this is a safe thing to vote for in Congress. So I think that, you know, I was meeting with a representative who gave me this term, but it's above all is the strategy. You have to do all of it. We have to shake the tree at a million different angles. We're just trying to shake it from a little bit more centrist, nonpartisan, like you can be anything and believe that we should reinstate the assault weapons ban. And I think that's a key point. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. But I also want to point out, in case anyone's listening right now, going like, oh, well, you must have, you know, been involved in, you know, politics for a while. You must have, you know, maybe do you have a background in activism or you must have all this free time to just do, do, you know, get involved with the community like, you know, or you like I, I 
or, or you must you just must know all of these things. You you must have just been educated and in <laughs> in specifically in politics and in lobbying and laws and and so I would really appreciate because this is what I've discovered in this you know in this past year where I've gotten involved in, to a point in a level that I had never really been involved before because I've also feel like I've been able to learn in a way by being present being able to go and visit the Capitol and sit in on sessions has really made me understand this is how I learn. I, I do not read an article or a book yeah. and understand it. I have to kind of see it. I'm a tactile person. That is where I learn best. And it's really helped me understand. So can you also explain, yeah. because I know from our conversations, all the work that you've put in recently, but this wasn't like some, this is not how you've grown up. Like, no. I, it, yes. I think if anyone can take anything away, it's not hard. Like, I stayed on the sidelines for so long because it sounded really complicated. I'm like, oh, policy, politics. Like, I don't really get it. I went to the University of Iowa. Like, I'm not an Ivy League scholar. Like, I've been in sales for 15 years. I worked at the same company selling recruiting services to Fortune 500s and startups. Like, I can help you scale a business and decide where to put people and how to attract the talent. But when you talk about laws and you talk about politics, like, I don't get it. So I kind of used that as my out. Like, I'm not getting involved because I don't add any value here because I don't understand. And then it impacts your life in some way. And you realize, okay, I'm going to have to figure this out. Now, I've had the luxury of my co-president has 20 years of lobbying and political experience. She worked on the Hill. She's been a lobbyist for a couple different issues. So she's the yin to my yang. And I've got this, you know, chip on my shoulder. Well, why can't we do this? And why should think we should? Well, you know, Maureen will come in and say, we, we can't technically. And here's why, <laughs> you know, where I'm like, let's put all our faces on billboards until they pass this. And she's like, you know, I don't know if that's the best strategy. <laughs> So I think, you know, part of what March 4th does is like we like to say we give activism training wheels to people where it's like you can dip in and out. Your level of participation can be whatever the best level is for you. We just ask that you participate at all. And so that can be having conversations with friends and family about issues like we talked about at the beginning of, hey, guns are the number one killer of kids. This is something that really matters to me. Like just having those conversations that may seem uncomfortable. The level of participation may be calling your senators and reps, which we make it really easy on our Instagram, like mm -hmm. links that click to call and here's the three you know, sentence script or one sentence script. Which I also want to say, if you've ever had to place a customer service phone call with like your cable company, <sighs> or if you've ever had to call and rearrange a dinner reservation, <laughs> or if you've ever had to pick up the phone and someone called you and it's a wrong number and you have to figure it out and it feels weird for a few minutes, that's what these phone calls are like. <laughs> You're not going to like get on the phone and someone's going to answer and be like, answer five questions about our democracy <laughs> or you don't get to pass no. and move forward. Like, it's not like this. It's not, you're not on who wants to be a millionaire phoning a friend <laughs> or if you like say something wrong, it's marked forever. Like, it's so easy to pick up the phone and just be a little reminder, a little thorn in the side and be like, hey, remember, we are part of the community that either voted for you or has the ability to vote or not vote for you. And mm -hmm. so we get a say in this, too. And you have to pay attention to what the people are feeling and what they feel like saying to you. You have to listen. Yeah. So I think this whole civic duty, I don't know, maybe I like slept through it in school or just didn't retain it or we weren't taught it at all. Just not sure. But 
this matters so much. So I like to give the example of what it what happens on the other end of that phone call for anyone that's feeling afraid or anxious. It's literally interns. So you've got people in their early 20s that are sitting at a desk and their job, their whole job is to answer the phone and say, hello, thank you so much for your comment. Can I have a zip code? Thank you. That's it. That's all they're doing. Nobody's going to quiz you on why do you think this? No, like frankly, they don't want to. They want to get off the phone just as much as you do. So if you can go in there and say your script, hey, guns are the number one killer of kids. What are you doing to end mass shootings? They're not going to have an answer for you, but they can then put that pressure on the member of Congress. And remember, there is an opposition here. This opposition, which is re- you know really the the gun industry when you think about it, or the trade associations for firearms. They have a very strong drumbeat of callers. Don't pass any gun laws. Don't you dare infringe upon our rights. Don't pass any gun laws. Do they? This is a, mm-hmm. this is, really? Oh, yeah. So we have to cancel them out. People call and say, D- I, I don't want you to infringe upon my rights. And so as we look at this whole, like, that's why our voice matters. And our voice is collective. But if you don't participate, you're part of the problem. And I hate saying that in a shame way because I really don't like shaming people on this issue, but it's like, we have to show up. We have to, you know, whether it's on the way to or from drop-off, it, you save the number in your phone and it's just like that little, okay, I've, people have like reminders on their phones or calendar invites. It's annoying. It's tedious. You don't think that's really working. But when I go visit these offices, oftentimes we'll ask them about that day. Like, are you getting any calls on this today? Oh yeah. Or like, no. When they say no, I'm like, oh, okay. But we have to keep it top of mind for them by calling, by sending an email, by, you know, filling out one of those form letters on the on the internet. And I think the important thing to consider with all of this is we're not here to solve all of gun violence. That would be great. What we're trying to do is look at the lowest hanging fruit of gun legislation, and that is a law that already existed and worked. So from 1994 to 2004, and I didn't know this last year, we had a federal ban on assault weapons. We had it. It passed with bipartisan support, including who, Reagan. Who passed it? Who? Congress. Congress. On their own? It wasn't like this big push from anyone else? Did you... I would say it was a big push from a, from a lot of people, but... You know, there was a there was a presidential letter where uh, uh, presidents from opposing sides, including Reagan, said, you know, Congress, we'd really like you to act here. It was a crime bill. So I think Democrats were angling to be tough on crime. It was a part of that package. But it passed with bipartisan support. So for people to say it'll never happen, it already did. It literally already did. And what is like you said you didn't know about about this law a year ago. This is this has been new information to you. I realize I also haven't really understood. I know that the AR-15 was it was a weapon made for war. Have you learned more about this specific firearm, considering obviously that this is the whole, you know, yeah. root of the bill trying to being passed? Like what where did this AR-15 come from? Why can people buy it? Why didn't it just like you can't just go buy a tank? You can't, right? Can you buy a bazooka or a tank? I don't like. No. So where? What is this? Where did it come from? Very layered. There's some really good articles I would reference that have been published recently in the the journal. Here's what happened. So, the to my understanding, disclaimer: I'm not, you know, all all things on this, but the AK-47 is a war weapon, and the AR-15 was made in response to the AK. K-47. So an AR-15 is a semi-automatic weapon 
the goal and the purpose of it is to, and this gets so trigger warning, which is the wrong word, but trigger warning. The goal of this weapon is to annihilate the human body. Period. End of story. Mm-hmm. So from the from the number of magazines to the the velocity of the bullets and everything, we brought some doctors to the hill several times. And their message is, we can't save a child hit by an assault weapon. We can't. The surface area, we can't recreate an organ. These guns liquefy organs. They decapitate. So we're not talking about any old gun. And I think as we look at that ban that existed, that do you see any other countries that have a mass shooting problem? Like no one has access to these weapons the way Americans do. I've talked with veterans and they're like, when I had to have the equivalent of this in war, I had a psych eval every six months. I had to wear it in my person. I had to shower with it. Like the in civilian life, we're like, have a great life. Here's your AR-15. I'm never going to talk to you again. Like, hope you don't kill anyone with it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah. we're just trying to create some logic around this and say the only benefit of the law, the ban expiring in 2004 is that we have data to know that it worked. And so, okay, so this was specifically a gun created for war. We know that at a certain point, this has obviously become something that became sold. Congress passed this law. And from 94 to what, 2003? 2004. 2004. So 94 to 2004, there was a law that banned specifically like these kinds of mass destructive assault weapons. Mm -hmm. You could still purchase mm-hmm. hunting rifles. There were still handguns out there. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that still existed. The guns that were completely le- illegal on a federal level mm-hmm. and banned mm-hmm. were these assault weapons. Correct. How does how does a law like this just expire? It's not milk. It's it's, it's not milk. <laughs> God. <laughs> Unfortunately, to get it passed, they included a sunset clause. And what that was to say is... Also, if anyone knows anything about contracts, like, fuck a sunset clause. Seriously. (laughs) And it's like, you guys need to do more work in 10 years and you can vote on it and reinstate it. And Congress let it expire in 2004. And then we've seen, you know, a really, really strong gun lobby help uh, create the mass market for assault weapons. They've made them cool. There's a lot of, you know, talking points around marketing tactics to young kids and all of this horrible, icky stuff. But it's become a very popular weapon of choice for firearm purchasing. And I think like, so we went from extreme to extreme, but I will say they do, there's some marketing tactics where it's like, consider your man card reissued with an AR-15 in the photo. It's like, we're we're trying to make this cool. And now we're at a point where this is the mass shooter weapon of choice because it is so effective. I'm trying to think, do and if you don't know, but it, so 2004, it expired. I'm trying to think what the like first, it's sad to have to be like, what was the first mass shooting? Uh, there were, sh- were there shootings already before it w- that yeah. was like a, an illegally purchased or illegally acquired mm-hmm. automatic weapon? Yeah. So here's the thing. No solution is going to solve everything. And w- ironically, not ironically, but during the assault weapons ban, Columbine happened. So mass shootings 
began during a point where you could not legally purchase. They were illegally obtained. That being said, then you allow the legal purchase. You allow this weird allure for certain people to, you know, have infamy and taking down a bunch of people, et cetera. Mass shootings have continued to climb since the expiration of the assault weapons ban. And we've got, you know, 2013 being Sandy Hook and Congress in in the following months tried to pass a background check law and it failed. So that was, there's people, Obama has said that was the darkest day of his presidency is looking at, you know, basically the adults in the room and watching them do nothing when first graders were mowed down in their classroom. So there, there's a lot of complexity here. The, what I try to do because I have an ADD brain and I want to always bring it down to simple is the sentence that strings the deadliest mass shootings together is the shooter obtained the AR-15 legally. Mm -hmm. So if we could remove that, that would mitigate some murder. And we want to make murder harder in America. When the ban existed, 70% less people died in mass shootings. 70%. And I'm not, I'm not a big st statistics person, but I'll take any amount of less death. Over a decade, mind you. Yep. And we had the internet. The internet was flourishing towards the end of that. Like, yep. you know, we, yes, we yep. were even at war during yeah. this time. It's it's really interesting to me that we have so many veterans that support this piece of yeah. legislation because they they're the ones that have handled these weapons and seen what they can do. So, it's like when you think about all the people we're trying to convince on the hill, I keep saying when I'm out in America, like I'm selling water is wet. I've yet to have like a slew of conversations where people are like, I don't know, this doesn't sound like a good idea. It's like, hey, this law worked. Less people died. Rights were not infringed upon and we just want it back. What do you think? And people are like, yeah. So it's so when you say it like that, it does seem simple. It simplifies the entire thing. It seems like this, you know, it, this is you are making this with your nonprofit, a nonpartisan issue. This seems to also slowly be like in conversations I have too as well. It feels very nonpartisan. It feels like something that in many of my social circles uh, that in which people sit on either side of the political parties, that this is something everyone usually agrees upon. Mm -hmm. So why? Why? <laughs> why? 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 I mean, and we have <laughs> 10 years of, of data. We have doctors. We have, you know, veterans, as you're saying. So why do you feel like this is not something one that has been able to be accomplished. And, and two, it feels very simple in the conversations that you seem to be having with people. But then what what is the next step? Like, what? why is it not catching on? Why yeah. why is it not happening? Oh, the, the million dollar question. So first of all, you're right when you say majority of people that you're talking to support this. Two thirds of Americans support this. Now, there's many different polls, but I will say Fox News even reported that 61% of people support the assault weapons ban. So that tells you something. The truth is always somewhere in between, right? So the majority of Americans do support this. Now, Congress is a different story. And what I've learned in my short time doing this is, number one, when we were on the Hill in July of 2022, we brought 600 people a week after our inception to the Hill, Uvalde families, Highland Park families, and supporters from across America. We met with 30 legislators. We marched, we rallied. They promised us a vote on this bill. 
And I was, you know, super naive at the time. I'm not any less today, but I'm like, great. Thank you. Like we asked for an assault offense ban and you said you'll vote on it. Great. And of course my co-president is like, no, no, no. They haven't voted on this in almost 30 years. This is a really big deal. So two weeks after our march, they voted on it in the house and it passed. It passed for the first time in almost 30 years. So I'm thinking like, Okay, great. We just need the Senate. And then like, we'll be able to wrap this puppy up and head home. You're like, we did it. Democracy is so easy, <laughs> right, guys. guys. We just needed to try a little harder. No. And by the way, we're on the backs and shoulders of so many advocates for the past several decades that are working on gun violence prevention. So none of this I'm, you know, naive to. However, what we watched the Senate not vote on it and we watched them let this expire. We watched... Uh, Senator Schumer, Leader Schumer, prioritized wildlife bills and cannabis bills at the end of 22, rather than even taking this to the floor post-election, right? We heard like, oh, it's an election year. We really can't do it. We're like, okay, the election's over. How about now? And they're like, oh, we really, I don't really, we don't want to walk the plank here. So the why is, <laughs> there's so many, but power. So we hear it's an election year every year. In January, we started going to the Hill again and we started, well, we're gearing up for an election year in 24. So I'm like, what are you talking about? Is it always, when is it convenient for you to pass legislation or to stand up for the majority of Americans? So what we realize is we need to create a bigger groundswell of support in America. There's an element of the fact that America is traumatized, that mass shootings are normalized and it's a really heavy space to be in all the time and to feel activated about all the time. That's what March 4th is here to do. Like I just got back from the Hill, back to back weeks on the Hill. We're there to advocate for this issue all the time so that you don't have to. But if we're not there, there's 75,000 other things that people are trying to bring to the forefront. So we have to be consistent and we have to be loud. And the unification that we're trying to do in both parties and independence with all walks of life across America is to say we are trying to give politicians the political cover they need to vote yes. And that means, hey, people support you. This is a safe thing to vote yes on. So we've got a we've got a Congress and this leads me into uh, our piece of legislation. We've got a Congress right now where we've built some great relationships. We've met with over 300 offices in the, you know, 14 months that we've existed. And they now are telling us, you know, maybe they were telling this before and I kind of wasn't listening and now I'm listening. But they're like we're not going to vote on this. We are not going to vote on this this Congress. So for a moment, we kind of stomped our feet and got pissed off about it. And then we started thinking, well, what will, what will you vote on? Like, if it's not this bill, this is the same bill that passed in 94. It is 126 pages. I've held it. It has. Is that typical for a bill? Are bills usually. No, it lists every gun. I mean, it is, it is a work of art. That being said, it doesn't have the support of full Democrats, nor does it have a single Republican co-sponsoring, which just means like a public vote of support. So we are trying to, so what we said to ourselves is let's write a bill. How hard could that be? (laughs) And try to bring this issue to the forefront and gather more bipartisan support since that's the only way you can pass laws in this damn country. So we're trying to reframe the conversation, less penalizing and shaming and more positive, right? Like we know half the country really loves their guns. We know that the Second Amendment really matters. And we are not here 
to, to shame anyone in that. We know that lawful gun owners are usually not the people creating these mass murders. And so how do you reframe this as like, we can be responsible gun owners and save lives at the same time. Like two things can be true. So we're looking at, and I have policy experts and legal experts that have poured over research, looking at laws that already exist, looking at what has passed, what language passes with Republicans, what language passes with Democrats, and really reframing this as the Responsible Firearms Act, a freeze rather than using the word ban, because right now it's called the assault weapons ban, and that creates a really visceral reaction. Bans are scary. So freeze the manufacture and sale of assault weapons and large capacity magazines because data. And then also we would offer a tax incentive for firearm retailers, for firearm purchasers, who self-impose some safety regulations like safe storage laws or waiting periods. So it's like, mm-hmm. we can do things to make this country safer, to have less kids die, to mitigate the fact that it's the number one killer of kids, and we're not here coming for your guns. In fact, the assault weapons ban grandfathers in any lawfully owned assault weapon. Like, it's in fact not a gun grab. We're just trying to do things in a logical manner that can help save some freaking lives. 
what do you from a Republican representative saying, well, what do you mean? We handed out free locks. So we've solved the storage issue. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, is this what is uh-uh. this is what has been happening? And how wait, what? That is not the same. No. That is not the same thing at all. It, it, it just was so it was very infuriating. Very. But it, that's the thing. So I understand when you say that, like, you get angry and it, like, I get angry. And right now I'm like, I have to have a place of, like, I'm a problem solver as well. And I'm like, what, what is the solution? Mm-hmm. And so the solution, it sounds like, that you and your team have come up with sounds very inspired. It sounds very easy to understand. I'm sure it is complicated. I know it is nuanced. I can't even imagine what goes into writing a bill. But you also rep- you also mentioned that there are so many other organizations that have been doing this work for a long time mm-hmm. that have been rooted in advocacy and activism and for a very, very long time. When you did enter into this space, were you aware of that? Is that mm-hmm. something that you've had to learn? And have you been able to work with other organizations or learn from other organizations? Have you had, what humbling moments have you had within that space? Yeah. Well, I would say the day that we realized we were July 6th, that we were like creating a rally, I immediately was reaching out to March for Our Lives and Moms Demand. Like, hey, you guys have done this before, right? Like, (laughs) I have no idea what I'm doing. And the feedback was, don't do this nothing gets done at a federal level, start local. And I'm like, no, like you can't, we want it to be federal, you know, like, hello, guns don't respect state lines. We have, this has to be an all whatever. The other feedback I got was, you know, another unique voice is needed in this fight. So I, we kind of were like, okay, I guess we're going to figure this out ourselves. Now through post the, the passage of the law in the house in on July 29th of 22 and getting together with more families and victims in across the country we were exposed to so many more organizations i will say brady has been one and i've now become friendly with their president chris who's an amazing woman has been one that's just like hey here's our playbook like here's what's worked for us here's what doesn't you know we're happy to accompany you on whatever so there's like this very nice welcoming environment there's also so much to focus on in gun violence prevention from you know obviously the assault weapons ban homicide suicide domestic violence loopholes and all there's like we need everyone here we need everyone here shaking this tree at every angle so that something can get done so there's a little bit of like why can't everyone just get all together and create one big organization that does it it's like because there's 75,000 problems that's that's like saying like can everyone just cheesecake factory needs to simplify it's like no 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 (laughs) People are clearly buying the 17 pages need, yeah, of menu. You, yeah, exactly. So as we need to like, yeah. there's not just one chef there at Cheesecake Factory. There's a whole right. department for that long right. menu. These are all the things that are actually, everything that you just listed, like that is something I think that I'm constantly reminded of and via social media following a lot of these different organizations is being reminded that, you know, for me, how I feel personally affected by gun violence as a citizen in the United States is that I have children that go to school and, you know, and I have stepchildren that have been teenagers and and 
but and watching them grow up and hearing about their active shooter drills and then being terrified of, you know, when I see another mass shooting on television, try and then or when I'm scrolling social media and it pops up and on my feed and realizing like, okay, why do I get a little jumpy at the idea of going to an opening night? It's like the national FEMA alert. Oh my God. (laughs) It works. (laughs) I am like, I don't want to, I don't want to stop testing me. I'm already terrified. And I literally just said, and then I get jumpy at any. They're like, oh yeah. I was going to say the idea of like, Big crowds <laughs> going to an opening night of yeah. a movie or yeah. being at a concert. And when the screens before concert says, if you see something, say Ugh. something. Like, and I'm like, what is this? It's like, I, it's just that. Like, it's just, uh, it, I just, this kind of like constant, like holding of my breath or even talking to my parents' generation and Asking them, you know, earlier this year after Covenant, I just, you know, I'm like, did you ever fear that you were going to send me to school and that I no. wouldn't come home? And that, that like, the, having those days where, how do we, there is no way that you have not dropped your child off at school on a random, like, Thursday morning and not gone, like, why do I have this weird pit in my stomach? in my stomach and I don't like it and am I crazy and if I keep them home from school am I crazy and if I don't then am I going to hate myself like that Mm -hmm. it is impossible to not that is how I personally have felt affected but what but what is I think important is all the other things that you've acknowledged and when I follow other social media accounts that talk about gun laws in this country and loopholes is that like how many people are affected by suicide and and domestic violence and just there are so many elements to this so I think it is very impactful to say this is our this is one thing we can focus on this is our yeah. one menu item right. <laughs> from this like long list of things that we do need to pay attention to. And there's so many other incredible organizations that are involved in, in those. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can help here. This is how I have to be, right? Like ADD, like I have to focus on it. I even get emails from other orgs and, and before starting March 4th. And it would have, you know, a bunch of paragraphs and several different bills. And it would just shut me down. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. You've got this. Like... I'll donate, but like, I don't understand what those bills mean. And that means I'm stupid and I'm blah, 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 blah. So I think like the persistence on one thing, I'm in sales. That's what I've been doing my whole career. So it's about negotiating and getting people onto your side. Half of it is follow-up and persistence. It's being that mosquito of like, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Have you passed any law? People are still dying. Do you need to do this? And so we're trying to do that on the Hill. But I think the the one hope I would impart to your listeners is since starting this lobbying in July of 2022, the conversations have shifted drastically, especially on the non-co-sponsors, basically, of the assault weapons span. So that includes some Democrats, but a lot of Republicans, the entire party. And what I'll say is it used to be conversations like, where they were coming at you. Like, you're not talking about mental health. You're not talking about fatherless boys. What about the dissolving of the nuclear family? What about literally everything else? And now 
since I would say like spring of this year. And I think having some, you know, headline mass shootings in Louisville and Nashville has helped in a horrible way, like get the attention of these lawmakers who are on the right and say, no one's immune to this. And so the conversation has turned from this isn't it, it's not the guns, to look, we know gun violence is a really big problem in America. We just don't know if this bill is how we're going to solve it. We're like, okay, like the first step is acknowledging we have a problem. Like we are, we're making some progress. And then my most recent two trips to DC last week and the week before, we met with all Republican offices except for one unsupportive Democrat. And I have, they were the best lobbying days. They were so, and it was a combination of the staffers being the lockdown generation. Like they very much grew up only knowing this. Yes. Which is a huge fact that I kind of haven't thought about how it's going to play. And these people are advising their bosses who are members Mm -hmm. of Congress. And the fact that more Republicans have been speaking up for gun control. So people no longer subscribe to the, I'm a Republican and I am pro-gun or I can't be, I'm anti-gun safety. Like that's not how it works anymore. Like you can want to regulate guns because they're a product. And so we noticed that these these conversations with Republicans were so much more positive. They were starting from a place of, okay, you know, as we're pitching the idea for our bill, this is something they might be able to get behind. And we're like, oh, okay, well, we've been wanting to hear that for, you know, 14 months and now we're hearing it. So this is insane. But it's like, this is how progress happens. It's persistence. It's staying loud. We're literally going to the Hill all the time and bringing a variety of audiences to say the same thing. And so I I, I would guess I would just leave you with like, there is some hope in this whole yeah. fight. There is some, it's taking longer than I'd like, but there are moves like the introduction of the Office of Gun Violence Prevention by the White House, which is a result of advocacy from groups like March for Our Lives who have been like, hey, whose job is it to deal with gun violence? And they were like, well, it's a little bit of this person, sometimes this person, and then this group. But no one owned it. And they're like, you really need an office to just focus on this because this is a huge epidemic. And four years later, this is now. So things are happening. The tide is turning and more people are speaking up. So I hope you will be one of them. Absolutely. No, but all of us like and that is like and that's all I've constantly heard is that it's a long game Mm -hmm. and and it, you know, unfortunately, it's a long game. But that's why we all have to stick together with this and we can get to the other. We have to have hope. We have to have hope. And it does feel like there's hope and momentum at this moment. So for anyone listening who goes, well, I I don't know how to write a bill and I don't know, like, maybe I want to go to D.C. or I don't know how to go to D.C. or I don't know. I don't know how to do any of this. And this seems scary. And what is something on a smaller scale that anyone can kind of do today, right now, and feel really good about. And then if someone's like, no, I want to jump in, throw me into the deep end, let's fucking go. What can they do? I love those people. Okay. I love all people, but those specifically. <laughs> love the jumper inners. Weird plug, but follow us on social media. So March underscore fourth underscore and fourth is spelled as in the fourth of July. The reason for that is we have literally daily reminders in our stories. So it's like you're scrolling, you're doing your thing and you're like, oh yeah, I got to call my senator. It's just that little extra reminder. We help 
show you the very easy ways that you can participate. And whether that is reposting something to share with your network, like that can be something that is your level of participation that day. It may not seem like it's going to move mountains, but again, the more people speak up, the louder the choir gets. And silence does nothing for a movement. So it's about participating. Whether it's, if you don't have social media, we have the same stuff on our website, wemarchforth.org. And I would just encourage overall participation in this issue. So whether that is speaking up about this with friends and family, whether that is posting things on social media, whether that is making calls, if you want to go to DC, we have lots of opportunities. We'll actually be there in mid-October. I'm not sure when this airs and better believe we'll be there again and again until this thing passes. And then, you know, you can also volunteer with us or donate to our org. We're a nonprofit running on fumes. So all of these things are, are, are helpful. But the, the thing I want you to take away from, from all of this is just participate. Just do what level of participation you're able to do at this time and know that people get activated more coming on the heels of a tragedy, which is, it's unfortunate, but it's the reality, right? We're all more mm -hmm. triggered after something happens. There was just a mass shooting last night at a university and it's like you, it's brought to the the head again because we try, we have to self-sustain. We have to get through life. So a little bit, you have to compartmentalize. You can't always live in this like state of absolute fear. But then it comes to a head again. You're like, okay, no, I really care about this. Those are the moments where I would just capitalize on your emotions and say, I'm going to participate. I'm going to pick a level and I'm going to do it, whether I do it for a day or a week or I make it part of my routine, but just participate. Yes. And, and, and also, if you can remind everyone, not everyone has all the time in the world. Like mm -mm. there, I've been able to participate. And then there are some times when I'm like, man, I feel bad that I can't be there. I can't be there to go phone bank. I can't be there to do this. I can't be there to do that because I have to, my, my kids have a class that day and I have to be here for a work thing. Mm -hmm. And and that is okay too. Yep. And that's when I go like, oh yeah, there is someone who is, has a lot more free time than me or they don't have free time, but that's their one free day. That is okay. I think we get so caught up in this like all or nothing mentality sometimes right. where it would you would be shocked at if you know where how wonderful it is even with the amount that you're able to do yes you have a very full schedule too you were balancing a full-time job as well as developing this nonprofit until you realize like okay I'm now in a position where I'm able to dedicate more time to this and I'm ready yes and I think we all need to if you are not used to you know, being involved in activism, especially even just on a local community level within your community, like it's okay to start small. Yes. Like, you, like you're not Captain Planet, you know, you're not Wonder Woman. <laughs> That's okay. Right. Like you can just be like, like one part of it. That is more than yes, enough. We always say it's like that sunscreen ad that like the best sunscreen is the kind you'll wear. Like the best participation <laughs> is the kind you'll do. And it can be whatever level. Yeah. I left my paid job to volunteer and lead this org because I'm like, I have to pass this. Like it has to happen. I have to put all of my energy into getting these idiots in Congress. That's a nonpartisan comment to do something to help our kids like live a safer life. And you can believe I'm a pretty persistent person. So if there are days that you have to dip out or weeks or months, like I promise I will be there fighting. And so will the 150 volunteers that we have and any level that you can uplift when you're ready to come into this fight and it's okay to dip in and out we're ready for you. We want it. It's great. But we will solve this together by uniting rather than shaming and going to our corners and 
you know, blaming each other. This is solvable. This is solvable. We've solved it before. Literally every other country has solved it. And we are going to do it. It's just a matter of when, not if. Well, let's get it done. Kitty, thank you so, so much. Thank you. I truly appreciate it. A Superbloom podcast is hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions, edited by Diane Kang, post-production sound by Coco Lawrence, and advertising partnership with ACAST.